you with an undying love, and he just could not grasp the fact that God would love him. And I sometimes can't understand why God would love me. What in my life could ever please God? What in my being that would compel him to have compassion on me? But my mind goes back to the scriptures that God commendeth his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us in the house of the leper. Something happened that night. The Bible says in verse number seven, there came unto him a woman having an alabaster box of very precious ointment and poured it on his head as he sat at meat. But when the disciples saw it, they had indignation saying, to what purpose is this waste? For this ointment might have been sold for much and given to the poor. In parallel accounts of this in the Synoptic Gospels, we find that that one in particular who opposed this woman giving this very precious gift to Jesus was none other than Judas, the betrayer. And you notice it says here, the complaint was, this is too valuable for Jesus. This is too precious. We could have sold this and feed a lot of other people and feed the poor. They totally missed the point. Now notice verse 10. When Jesus understood it, he said unto them, Why trouble ye the woman? For she hath wrought a good work upon me. An alabaster box. The Bible says, very precious, expensive ointment. Some theologians had calculated that perhaps the price of this ointment might have been as much as a yearly wage. Can you imagine giving a yearly salary to Jesus? We had some years ago, a fellow attended our church. His wife was saved and loved Jesus, and she dragged him along to church, and he would sit there. He wasn't always very happy to be there. And one day, I was at the door going out, and I heard him oversay to her, how much did you put in the offering plate? <laughs> and she told him, he says, you know what I could have done with that? Do you know what I could have spent that money on? And I guess some people just don't get given to God, do they? Some people don't understand that those that give receive and are blessed by the Lord. Now, we don't give to get. But we do get when we give, and that allows us to give more. I'm fully convinced that there's no new money in our fundamental independent Baptist circles. It goes around and around and around. <laughs> Let me explain. I was preaching a revival in, New Hampshire, uh, in Massachusetts some years ago, and in the revival, they invited a guest singer in, and he blessed my heart. He did the music, and I did the purchase. And it was such a blessing. And one night they took up an offering for him and 
I wasn't prepared. I didn't have anything to put in the offering. And I felt bad about that. When I got home after the meeting, I wrote him a letter. And I explained to him I wasn't prepared for the offering that was taken. And I put a check in there. And I sent it off to him. I said, I'm sorry I couldn't give that night, but I didn't forget you. And you were a blessing. Thank you. Well, about two days later, I get a letter in the mail from him telling me how much the preaching had blessed him, how it encouraged him, and how when the offering was taken for me, he wasn't prepared to give to me. And in that letter was the exact same amount that I sent to him. I called him up. I said, you know, brother, we're pretty dumb around here. So the only one that made money on this was the post office. <laughs> but you can't outgive God. And here, alabaster box, alabaster, very special wood. Containers made of alabaster wood was, were meant to have jewels and precious ointment in it. And she came. And she gave it to Jesus. Now, notice that when she was criticized, when she was criticized, uh, that she didn't come to her own defense. You notice that? She didn't say, hey, 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 fellas, oh, wait a minute. No, 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 you're misunderstanding. You don't know why I'm here. You, you don't. She never defended herself. Jesus defended her. Jesus took her side. And Jesus, on her behalf, confronted those accusers of her. I remind you that at this point in Jesus' life, he was just a week away from Golgotha. He was seven days away from the cross where the nails would be driven in his hands into his feet and a sword plunged into his side after a crown of thorns had been placed upon him. He never lived without sorrow. He was called a man of sorrows, the Bible tells us. Over the centuries, people prayed for Messiah to come. And when he came, he came unto his own, and his own received him not. And here he is in the house of Simon the leper. And they were having a meal together. And as they were eating together. Something happened. Now we have a door on this side of the platform and we have a door on this side of the platform. And as I'm here, you're focused on me. But if one of those doors should open, immediately because of that movement, your eyes would shift from me to that door. Can you imagine? Here they are, a group, all men. Door opens, they turn, and there stands this woman. Quietly, holding this alabaster box. All eyes are fixed on her. Who is she? What is she doing here? She was unwelcome and certainly uninvited. And she stands there, and her eyes gaze over the men in that room until they fasten on that one 
she come to love and come to adore. Slowly, without saying a word, she walks over to him. What is she doing? She opens that box, took that oil here, and gave it unto him, poured it on his head. We don't understand that in our Western culture. But in the Eastern culture, that was a great sign of respect and a great sign of honor. And she took all that she had and she brought it to the feet of Jesus Christ. I guess there are folks that still think giving to God is a waste of time. And I'm reminded in John chapter 12, if you would just turn there for a moment. The Gospel of John and the 12th chapter. And if you'd find your way, please, down to verse number four. The parallel account. Then saith one of his disciples, Judas, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, which should betray him. Why was not this ointment sold for 300 pence and given to the poor? This he said, not because he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the bag and bare what was put therein. He was the treasurer. He held the money of the disciples. Then said Jesus, let her alone. Against this day of my burying had she kept this. And I don't care if you believe the Bible or not. You have to believe verse number eight, where Jesus said, for the poor ye have always with you. <laughs> There's always going to be poor folk. Now, what's poor to you and poor to others may be relative. To some that would think that if you don't have your own house, you don't have your own car, and then you're, you're poor. Um, I was in uh, Jamaica, up in the mountains of Jamaica. One of the teenage boys came up to me and said, Brother Susan, I understand in America that you can go to a machine and put a card in and money comes out. I said, yes, that's called an ATM, automatic teller machine. He goes, really? He goes, oh, what a country. Yeah. I said, yeah, but you got to have the money in there. He says, you do? <laughs> we were talking a little bit, and I guess the idea was the difference between a rich American and a poor American is that a poor American has to wash his own Cadillac. So... So the difference between rich and poor very often just depends on where you are in life. I don't know about you, but I feel like I'm the richest man in the world. There's food on my table. There's a roof over my head. I got boots on my feet. God has provided for me abundantly. I have family. I have friends. Things that money cannot purchase at any price. Amen. 
for the poor ye have always with you. I think of the songwriter that says, I gave my life for thee. My precious blood I shed, that thou might ransom be and quicken from the dead. I gave, I gave my life for thee. And then the question, what hast thou given me? This morning our pastor preached a great sermon on giving it all. It went a completely different direction than I would think, and maybe the way you're thinking right now, too. But that phrase in the scriptures about Onan and how he says, I gave it all. How much is God worthy of in our life this evening? How much is he worthy of? Why do you hang on to your life? You can't keep it. You can't bless it. Isn't it better to give your life to God? Isn't it better you, to, to give your family, your children to the Lord? Isn't it better that God have all instead of some? Some wouldn't think twice about spending tens of thousands of dollars for an automobile or a pickup truck. $100,000 for a home. But yet to give God at least the minimum of the tithe of 10% seems so far out of range. Strange how money affects people. But as we look at this, I notice several things. First of all, her loving Jesus was not built upon the price of the ointment. Price was not a factor to her. She didn't care how much it cost to give to Jesus. She didn't care of its own worth. And maybe she understood what the, what the Bible teaches, lay not for yourself up treasures here upon earth where moth and rust doth corrupt and where thieves break through and steal, but rather lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where moth and rust doth not corrupt and thieves do not break through and steal. I don't know. Have you ever had your house broken in tow? Uh, we have. What a feeling that is. You just walk in the door and somebody's been here. The drawers are all open and empty. The cabinets are all open. Um, that was a time in our life and marriage and we didn't have anything at all. We didn't have a television. We didn't have anything of real value. Uh, a matter of fact, if the crook was any type of decent fellow, he would have left 10 bucks on the table for us. <laughs> he did steal, though, a little bank that we had that was filled with pennies, and that's all. And I had some old silver coins that he found and, and took. But it's a sickening feeling, isn't it? But that could happen to any one of us. A tragedy. God forbid, one night a fire burned down our home. How sad, lose everything. But the Lord said, there is a place of security. There is a place where you could invest. None of that will ever happen. Where there is no thief, and there are no devastating fires, nor diseases, nor floods, but the perfect climate of paradise. She didn't care what the price was. 
I'm going I'm to serve Jesus. My heart was sickened. I won't say saddened. It was actually sickened. A few years ago when I was preaching in a Bible college in another state, I met a young man. He was a senior, and he was graduating that year. So the obvious answer, a question to a senior to get the answer of, what are you going to do after graduation? What are your plans? And here's what he said. He said, well, I was thinking of going into the ministry if I could make a living out of it. I told him, don't even consider it. God's not calling you. When I think of the price that had been paid by pastors, now, I've been a pastor for 12 years. Been an evangelist now for 38 years, 50 years in full-time Christian ministry. I know what it's like what a pastor goes through. I know the heartbreak. I know what it's like to have a church split, to see people that once said they loved you turn their back and criticize and then turn other people to turn their back and to criticize. And that hurts. We've been through building programs that were almost devastating. Christian school, 180 students, although great, great blessing, and we had a tremendous teaching staff, yet, again, problems that do come up. But there's a price to pay if you're going to serve God. And I don't care if you're on a mission field. And it makes no difference whether you're a teacher in a Christian school. Or I don't care if, it makes, if, if you're in the choir. There is a price to pay to give to God. How much are you willing to give to God? What price are you willing to pay? I was preaching a mission conference, and, after, and I was exhorting young people who were close to getting out of high school, and, and I was exhorting to go to Bible college and consider becoming a missionary or a pastor or a Christian school teacher, to be involved in Christian ministry. Afterwards, a mother came up to me very upset. She said, Brother Susan, I'm dismayed at what you said tonight to our young people and to my children. I could not stand the thought of my kids living in another country far away from me. Time went on. Not only did her children turn away from church, they turned away from God and lived an ungodly life because she was not willing to pay the price of dedicating and giving her children to God. It'd be far better, isn't it, to pay the price of a Christian home Amen. that we could have the joy of the Lord in our home and in our family. Price, I don't care what it costs, I'm giving this to Jesus. Amen. You know what else? The criticism didn't stop her either. The, I mean, they criticized. Do you like being criticized? Do you like it when somebody says, what are you doing it that way for? That's not the right. You don't know how to do this. You don't know how to do that. And you don't. Nobody likes to be criticized. 
And what did she do wrong? I might have told you before about the one time I was in the uh, Walmart parking lot. And I got out of my car and I was going towards the door and I noticed a woman very nicely dressed in a business outfit. And you could tell that she was a businesswoman, probably very successful. And she starts to, toward the door and I start toward the door. And by my immediate calculation, I judged that we were going to get to the door at the same time. And so I picked up my, now you see folks, I know we have a big platform and I'm usually all over it, but I have to stay behind here today. <laughs> and so I pick up my pace. She looks at me, she picks up her pace. So I pick up my pace. But I'm, I'm, we're heading towards this door, we're eyeing each other. I got to the door just barely before her, took it and I held it open. She looked at me, walked through turned around in a very sassy way with her hand on her hip saying, huh, you didn't have to hold the door open for me because I'm a woman. I said, ma'am, I didn't hold the door open for you because you were a woman. I held it open for you because I was a gentleman. <laughs> you know, and I got criticized. You ever do something for somebody and get criticized for it? You try to do something good and, boy, they turn around and they bite you and you say, we say well, forget it. That's what you're going to do. She was facing that. What I do wrong? I'm just bringing some, some precious ointment to the Jesus I love and I get criticized. That's just like a woman wasting money. But you know what? It didn't stop her. She stayed and she finished a task that she attempted to do at the, from the beginning. And sometimes criticism can cause us to turn away from certain things. Now, I realize sometimes we cause our own criticism. Uh, I, I, I understand that. Because she must have been intimidated by the... Imagine, now some of you ladies might understand this more than us men, but can you imagine just walking into a room full of men you're not invited. You're not welcome. Scalding looks on what are you doing here? You know, that could intimidate some people. I remember when I was in high school, a friend of mine, Richie, we were good friends in high school, and uh, it was our last year of high school, and we were playing our arch rival. You know, every school has an arch rival. You get have a bad season, but if you beat them, it's a good season, kind of like, you know, the Red Sox might not win the Red Series, but they beat the Yankees. It's a good year, you know. <laughs> I just turned half people away from me. But anyhow, okay. And, and I said, hey, 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 Richie. He goes, what's that? I said, no, this is the last basketball game we're going to come to in our life against our arch rivals. He goes, yeah. Hey, let's do something cool. I said, what's that? He says, let's sit on the other team's side and cheer for our team. I said, hey, but that, that, hey, you know, that, hey, that'd be cool. That'd be cool. So we got up there. You know how they, they have sections. You know, the home team sits on one side. So we went over and sat right in the middle of all of them. And then, you know, our team will make a, a basket, and we'd stand up, hey, hey, that way to go. high fiving each other. About the third or fourth basket, I heard behind me a booming voice saying, hey, jerk. Sit down. Call me a jerk? 
I'm graduating from high school. I turned around, and there he was. There he was, Goliath II. <laughs> we moved over to our own side. <laughs> Can you imagine what it's like to be intimidated? And sometimes we're intimidated to give out a track because we're afraid that person looks mean. And, that person, and, and it intimidates us, doesn't it? It wasn't going to bother her. It wasn't going to intimidate her. She went there in spite of the criticism. The crowd was not a barrier to her. The criticism did not stop her. And why did she do it? She did it because she loved Jesus. Now, why does she love Jesus? When we read who this woman was, we find that Jesus went to her home, Mary, and helped her in the death of Lazarus. Has God ever done anything for you? Has God ever blessed you? That ought to increase our love more and more and more for him. Now notice back in our text, and we're going to finish up here somewhere along the line tonight. In Matthew chapter 26, notice the startling statement Jesus makes in verse number 12. For in that she had poured this ointment on my body, she did it for my burial. Jesus, what are you talking about? Your burial? You're not dead. No, but in preparation. Let me ask you, have you ever had the experience as I have to stand by a casket and have some people come by and say, I wish I told them I loved them before they died. I wish we'd gotten over this little bitterness and this rift that we'd carried on over these years and now it's too late. You see, she wanted to do something for Jesus while she still could and while he was still alive. My mom used to say, don't bother sending me flowers when I'm dead. I can't see them or smell them. Give them to me while I'm living. <laughs> but isn't that true? We only have a short time to do what we do for God. The clock of my life is winding down. My days are past. They're passing quickly. And who knows when that will be. It's all in the hands of God. But I do know this, that whatever time I have, I want God to have it. I don't want to wait to my deathbed to tell God how much I love him. I don't want to wait until I can no longer walk as an invalid, if that should ever happen, God forbid, to say, I wish I'd went more door knocking and so winning. But what was the message? What was the message? Notice carefully here in verse number 13. Verily I say unto you, wheresoever this gospel shall be preached in the whole world, there shall also this that this woman hath done be told for a memorial of her. Folks, 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 look. Tonight, 
in your very present Harvest Baptist Church, New Hartford, Connecticut, those watching by internet and streaming, tonight I fulfill prophecy. Because Jesus said, when the gospel is preached, they'll talk about this woman, and that's what we're doing tonight over 2,000 years later. In Ireland, a few years ago, we went to an old abandoned church, closed up, had a graveyard in the back. The weeds are all grown up, neglected. Suppose it always, wasn't always like that, but it was then. And we just walked through them, and I came up to one particular tombstone and just brushed some of the debris away, and it had one word on it, forgotten, forgotten. Jesus said, this woman would not be forgotten. And here we are 2,000 years later, still talking about her. What are people going to say about you? A year after your death, five years after you, 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years, what are they going to say about you? She would not be forgotten. And tonight, she wasn't. You see, tonight, what you do for God goes for all of time and all of eternity. You have an alabaster box tonight. Oh, maybe not physically like, like, like this woman had. But it's precious. It's priceless. And the Lord would be honored to have it. Alabaster box of your life, of your possessions, of your love, of your desire. There was, and it's still in existence today, in East Texas, a home for children. It was run by a fella, his last name was Buckner. Still in existence today, and it was called the Buckner Home for Children. And children that had lost their parents by death, disaster, whatever it might have been, he takes in, he feeds them, he clothed them, gave them Christian education, so they could have a foundation to go off into life as a successful servant for God in whatever field they may enter into. Very often he was away traveling around, collecting money to buy beds and medical supplies and food supplies. But always when Daddy Buckner, and that's what they called him, when Daddy Buckner come home, they would, uh, they would ring the bell. they see his old pickup truck coming down that old dusty dirt road. And they'd ring the bell. And no matter if the kids were in bed, it made no difference if they were in the assembly hall or if they were in the lunch uh, hall. It made no difference. They would all get up and they would all stand on the porch and just wave for Daddy Buckner as he came home. And they'd get so, so excited because he knew, they knew he loved them. One day, a pastor from Michigan called him and said, uh, Brother Buckner... Uh, we have a little girl here. Her name is Mary, and her mom and dad tragically died in a fire. There are no other relatives. There's no place for her to go except a state home, and we don't want that for her. Would you take her in 
He said, oh, brother, I'd love to, but I have no room. He said, Brother Buckley, you don't understand. She has no place and she'll end up in some type of government home. He says, bring her on down. His secretary rang him and said, uh, Brother Buckner, the pastor and a little girl called Mary are here from Michigan to meet you. He said, send them in. He was not prepared for what he was about to say. You see, the fire burned the home down, killed the parents. Mary survived but she was badly burned and scarred. There was no insurance money for plastic surgery or healing or anything back then, and just she suffered with those scars and deformed face. When they came in, he wasn't prepared to see a little girl like that. But he overcame in his composure sat down and talked with them. He says, Mary, would you, like, would you like to live here with us? And she says, I, yes. I, I, if you let me, I have no place else to go. He says, you stay here. He left the pastor and little Mary in his office and went over to the assembly room and gathered all the boys and girls. I said, boys and girls, guess what? We're going to have somebody new come with us. And the boys started chanting, it's a boy. It's when the girls started chanting, it's a girl. It's a girl. And it was going back and forth, you know. Okay, calm down, kids, calm down. It's a girl. And the girls go, yeah. And the boys go, oh. <laughs> and he said, but young people, I want you to know what happened. And he explained the story. I said, when you see little Mary, she's not going to look normal. She's got scars, and her face is deformed. But I don't want anybody laughing at her. You know, sometimes children can be cruel. And I don't want anybody staring at her or talking to her. I want you to be nice to her. They said they would. Well... He couldn't help but notice that whenever they were sitting down at the dining room tables, there was always a little more space on both sides of Mary than there were with the other boys and girls there. That when the other kids were out, the girls were out playing jump rope, and, and she wouldn't join in. They never asked her to join in, maybe because her hand was deformed. She couldn't turn the rope very well. And she would just stand, and she would just look and watch the the other children play. One day, Daddy Buckner came home, as he often did from a trip. The bell rang, and everybody ran out. Daddy Buckner, Daddy Buckner. When he got out of the truck, they ran off that porch. They hugged him. They climbed up on him, you know what I mean? <laughs> they just loved him so much. All except little Mary, who stood on that porch by herself. He looked up at her and says, Mary, is something wrong? Are you mad at me? She says, no, Daddy Buckner, I love you so much. You're the only daddy I have. You feed me. You clothe me. 
You give me a nice bed to sleep in. You feed me such good food and I have nice clothes. But, but I know I'm just so ugly. And you wouldn't want to hug me. And you wouldn't want to hold me. Oh, that big old Texan did. <laughs> he just took his hand and parted his way through all those other boys and girls and went up to where Mary was, put his arms around her, hugged her, and said, Oh, Mary, Mary, I love you, and kissed the scars on her face. And you know, folks, sometimes when I look at my life and I see the ugliness of my sin, what is there that God would love? Nothing. But yet I could feel his arms around me, loving me, holding me, and saying, I love you as my child. I'll tell you something, folks. After that, you think I could hold back on God? You think there's any price too high? Any crowd too great? Any criticism too strong? That will stop me from giving him my all. What about you tonight? I don't know your soul's condition before God. That's a personal matter. That's between you and him. But I will say this tonight. Even if you're not saved, you owe God greatly tonight. He's given you breath for today. And by his mercy and grace, you'll have breath in the morning when you wake up. And God has been good to you. Don't you owe God? I know I do. Can I hold back? I can't at all. And if you don't know Christ as your Savior tonight, what is the devil offering you that's worth the price of your soul in hell? Would you give it to him tonight? The alabaster box of your soul. Say, Jesus, this is yours tonight. Christian and I, what are you holding on to? Mine. This is mine. You know, a child, one of his first words, maybe daddy. After that, you know, he learns no. <laughs> and then after that, mine. And somehow we never outgrow that. Maybe tonight we say, no, Lord, it's not mine anymore because I'm giving it to you. Would you be willing to do that? I'm going to ask you folks that are here in attendance tonight, the good number that's here, to stand where you are, please. And you folks at home or wherever you might be watching this tonight, you do as whatever God tells you to do. But I'm going to ask the folks that are gathered here tonight, I'm going to ask you, forget any criticism of anyone else in the church. Forget the crowds that are around you. And make your way to an altar tonight and say, God, I owe you so much. Thank you for all you have done for me. Here's my alabaster box on my life. God bless you. God bless you, yes. And God bless you also. And dear sister, yes, praise God. And young man, praise the Lord for you too. Yes, sir. Oh, praise God tonight. Praise God tonight. The ugliness of our sin could not hold back 
the love of God. Could not hold back his grace nor his forgiveness tonight. Yeah, the world say, don't give your life to church work. Don't give your life to, uh, to God. It's a waste. Make something big out of it. Now, not everybody's going to be a preacher. God bless you. We need Christian doctors and Christian lawyers and Christian engineers. I understand that tonight. But give God your all, whatever profession you might be in tonight, for he is worthy of it all. Lord, tonight those words ring out in my heart. To what purpose is this waste? Yeah, Lord, I remember the man that offered me six-figure salary if I would drop out of Bible college and go work for him. I often thought of the missionaries I could support with that kind of money. I often thought of the churches I could help with that kind of money. But, Lord, there's no price too high to give to you. For that money will be gone and passed pass away. But what is done for you in the kingdom of God will surely last forever. Thank you for these folks that are here tonight. Lord, I know some still fearful, and that's all right, God. We don't criticize them. We have to follow our own conscience. We understand that. But, yeah, Father, we pray your safety and your blessing. We've not been foolish. We have done what you've commanded us to do, to gather in the name of the Lord. Bless these folks that have filled the altar tonight, Lord. And those folks that are watching by internet and streaming, I pray tonight that although I don't see them, that there would be lasting results in their heart and in their life to say, Lord, here's my alabaster box. I give you myself and all that I have. In Jesus' name, and amen. Brother, you have a song for us?